So, we're um, back with Peter. Just a, a really quick summary, the blue boxes. We had uh, three lessons uh, or challenges to be thinking about from last week when we were looking at Peter under this general title, An Unschooled Ordinary Man, which is a quotation from Acts chapter 4. And working from the bottom up, the first challenge was, where is my call up to? And we were observing in the calling of the Apostle Peter that it's not a, a once-off uh, experience, it's a process. Um, going from the first time we ever have an awareness of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ through to a personal encounter, through to uh, an acceptance of him, through to uh, uh, the receipt of a commission, and through to our commitment to that commission. And the challenge was in that process, where am I up to with my call? We then looked at who is the Lord Jesus to me? And we were reflecting on the statement that Peter made as to his appreciation of Jesus' identity. A really key fact for us to come to terms with and recognise is who do we believe Jesus is? And our belief, the strength of our belief in who he is and his true identity will have um, a real impact in our lives. And then we left last week with this idea of Peter and John in a race to the tomb having heard that he wasn't there anymore. <coughs> and we have the um, transition from, or potential transition from despair, which is where both of them were. Uh, and my contention is despair for different reasons. Um, in John's mind, just um, mourning the loss of a really close friend, and Lord, who he had very high expectations of, and with Peter, um, on the back of his denial, the Lord had been snatched away and there was no opportunity to put right what was wrong. And I'm thinking that they had different motivations, um, subtly different perhaps, um, to go and discover the empty tomb and see where that led. Today we're under the, well it says Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, I should say one, two and three. So um, we're under the sifted as wheat um, passage and we will, we referred to it last week, we will think about that. And it's three R's, rejection, restoration and responsibility or reinstatement. So, let's uh, think about that verse in Luke chapter 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. It's a kind of odd expression. What did the Lord have in mind when he said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat? Um, my mind goes back to when I was a little boy, and my dad worked... Uh, in a nursery as most of you know um, 
and I don't know whether Ian can relate to this too, but um, his dad and my dad, two brothers working in the same nursery, more or less. And they had this really gruesome machine. It was um, like a, a bucket with a spinning conveyor at the bottom of the bucket with teeth on it. And it would spin at very high speed, made a right racket. And they would pour compost into it. And the idea is that these rotating teeth would shred the compost and it would all drop out nice and even. And what would be left is all the, the stones and the, um, the kind of um, lumpy bits that were no use. Um, for me, it, it's a semi-modern day illustration of what perhaps the Lord was referring to with this concept of sifting as wheat. And it was as though Peter was under Satan's attack. And, uh, you know, Peter, Satan has asked me that, you know, to allow, to be allowed to put you through this process. It'll be very painful. And actually the worst part is it exposes all your knobbly bits. You know, all the things in your character that are um, really not good. Um, but he says, I've prayed for you, Peter, um, that your uh, faith will not fail. Um, I think it's a, a reality. Failure is a reality. Um, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And the first part of the, the message in this particular section is it's about recognizing that we fail and not celebrating that failure. You know, we should strive not to, but when it happens, to recognize that there's an opportunity to learn. And, you know, it makes Peter's story very relevant to us all because we're in the world we have been impacted by sin and therefore we are prone to fail it's inevitable i'd like to think that uh, in his old age peter would reflect back and with a sense of shame bitterness but wisdom see the outcome of his denial of the lord and see it put in a positive complexion and let, we'll kind of revisit that at the end and see, um, see whether you agree with that. Um, so perhaps failure uh, in whatever circumstances, and this can be just failing to achieve what we wanted to achieve. Um, it might be failing, we know, to live up to the Lord's expectations. It might be failure in succumbing to temptation of some kind. Um, and that can be so... Uh, literally soul destroying um, and a challenge I would leave us with is are my failures winning because um, that's Satan's intent his intent in sifting Peter as wheat to expose all those ugly things about the character and person we're talking about his intent was to make Satan useless to make Peter useless and that is uh, Satan's intent for us you know, we're a redeemed, uh, sanctified asset for the Lord's work. And if Satan can undermine particularly what we think of ourselves, 
then he can render us useless. So the challenge is, are my failures winning? The Lord said, take heart, I have overcome the world. Um, the Lord has overcome every possible obstacle. And sometimes maybe we don't necessarily see it that way. So let's think about, uh, in the context of Peter's experience, restoration, uh, rejection, restoration, and responsibility. And I'd like us to read together um, a substantial part of um, the accounts that will help us in, uh, in these three topics. So we'll go to Matthew 26. Verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. <coughs> Then jump to verse 50, the second half of verse 50. The men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. And then verse 57. Those who arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Verse 63. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Verse 67. Then they spat in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there 
went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You might be thinking, I would never do what Peter did. You know, um, that was just despicable. Um, you know, he had circumstances, okay, that were very, very difficult. Maybe if I was in Peter's circumstances, then I would have succumbed. But, you know, I've got too much invested already in this person. You know, you would never catch me denying uh, Jesus. Um, I actually made, this looks like a long list, but I'll rattle through it really quickly, but I made a list of, a sequential list of things that, that seem to happen. And I'll, um, I'll kind of throw up the challenge as we go through it. The challenge is perhaps some of these circumstances are a little, are uncomfortably so, a little more familiar than we might have thought. But here's uh, how I saw it, and I'll just read them. Jesus, all of you will fall away on account of me. We so often isolate Peter as though he was the only one. Peter, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. High expectations of himself. All the other disciples said the same. Stay here and keep watch with me. Peter, could you not keep watch with me for one hour? Peter he defends Jesus with his sword. We get that from John 18, where he's named. Then all the disciples deserted Jesus and fled. Peter followed him at a distance, accompanied by John. We get that from John 18 too. Peter entered the courtyard and sat down so he could see the outcome. I have the impression of Peter keeping it just a comfortable distance um, I don't want to trivialise this but it's a, it's a point that sticks in my mind I think I've used it recently but I had a boss once who said your best approach in life is to be like a piece of toast <laughs> and a piece of toast gets close to the fire for long enough to kind of become a functional piece of toast but as soon as that happens then back off because you'll get burnt and that's not pleasant and um, sometimes you, you know, we have to stay there and take the heat. And you have Peter standing at a comfortable distance all the way through this process. Um, the high priest, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. The soldiers spat in his face, struck him with their fists and slapped him. The reason for going through this is I, I want us to try and hand over our imagination to the Holy Spirit you know, this, as I understand it, is the sequence of events. So we have the Lord Jesus already having been abused at this stage by the soldiers. So he's got spit hanging off his face. He's probably got black eyes, um, having been beaten with their fists and slapped. And Peter is in eyeshot of this. And he's at this kind of comfortable distance 
And it's at that point a servant girl in the courtyard wrote to number 12, uh, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. I don't know what you're talking about. Peter then moved, I should say, out to the gateway. Another servant girl, this fellow was with Jesus, Peter, with an oath. I don't know the man. Then God's, surely you're one of them, for your accent gives you away. Peter, calling down curses upon himself, I don't know the man. Immediately the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. You get that from Luke 22, verse 60. Remember what had already happened at this stage. So try and captivate that eye contact that the Lord had with the man who just denied him three times, the cock crows, and the Lord looked straight at Peter. And it's no wonder that he went outside and wept bitterly. I think there are degrees of denial and maybe this is at the high, high end of the spectrum but um, I certainly feel just looking through that sequence and imagining how it seemed to progress you know and Peter was getting himself into deeper and deeper waters um, as the situation got more severe and certainly from my own point of view it is uncomfortably more familiar than I thought, than I first thought. It's with that in mind that that's the last encounter that Peter has had with the Lord. Um, and then they get this report that um, the, the tomb is empty. Um, we had this from last week, and it says... Um, what was Peter's expectation? I think Peter was a, was a desperate man and clinging on to perhaps the potential that Jesus was alive. And, you know, John had the aspiration, you know, the one I love is alive. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved and I'm alive. And if he's alive, I just want to reestablish that relationship. Peter's was different. He had an opportunity, perhaps, in his despair, to put right uh, what had gone wrong. I had a very unfortunate um, discussion with a colleague, um, maybe a month ago. His colleague, the same age as me, and his older brother had committed suicide. And uh, colleague disappeared for a month, completely understandably. Um, he had all kinds of responsibilities. And when he came back, we were kind of chatting around what he'd experienced. And he said, the worst thing is none of us anticipated it. And if only we knew where he was, then we would have had the opportunity to do something. And this just came out of the blue. They had no idea that he was struggling mentally and, and with his circumstances. And Rob was saying, opportunity's gone. You know, all as we've got left is to think about positive things. And I was kind of uh, reflecting when I was looking at preparing for this. You know, Peter was in despair because we know what he really thought of the Lord. That wasn't in question. But when under pressure, he denied him. Let's look at uh, these verses. Um, again, another quite detailed reading. Mark chapter 16, the first eight verses. 
When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee, though you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Then Luke 24, verse 30. This is uh, Jesus with the two who were traveling to Emmaus. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the, the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. And then First Corinthians 15, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. The reason for reading that sequence of scriptures is I have the impression and um, it, it's not obvious until you kind of piece the scriptures together that Peter had a personal, unrecorded, close encounter with the Lord. And um, you have it from um, the, first of all, when the angels appeared to the ladies in the tomb their instruction was to go to tell his disciples and Peter separating Peter out Peter as they'd all denied him but Peter um, I guess was more his denial was less subtle more black and white and he was the one who felt the guilt of that experience and the Lord knew how he would feel so go tell his disciples and Peter in uh, Luke 24, the report back from the two as they arrive back is that, uh, you know, we've seen the Lord and it says that he appeared to Peter also, an unrecorded encounter. 
there's no, there's, there's only a reference to it. And then 1 Corinthians 15, you get the same reference that you appear to many people, including, uh, in fact, I think, I think as we read it, it says first to Cephas. So the Lord had a personal um, encounter, interview, interaction with Peter that was independent of anything else that is, is recorded in God's word. I think that's uh, really critical in our consideration of, of restoration. So, first of all, repentance is a prerequisite. And as we imagine um, what Peter was going through, how he felt, having looked at that sequence of um, experience that has gone on, and considering the despair and the excitement of being given the opportunity to put things right with the Lord, there's no question about his repentance. He went out and wept bitterly, is the expression that we've read about. You know, I think there's a reason why there's no record of the detail of the encounter that Peter had. And it's because it's private. It's... It's something that is between the Lord and him. And I would just like to encourage us to think about our relationship with the Lord in that context. You know, how we feel about the way we've let him down, and for sure we have, we've agreed that's inevitable. How we feel about that is no one else's business. That's between us and him. And... I really believe that's why there's no record of what was said. For me, there's just three very clear verses which point to the reality of that um, private dialogue that the Lord had between Peter and the Lord that um, meant he'd had the opportunity to put things right. Really important point is forgiven sin is irrelevant. Satan has asked me, uh, Peter, that he might sift you as wheat. Uh, that he might undermine your calling and your redemption and your sanctification so he will expose your humanness and your failings and render you useless. Well, actually, forgiven sin is irrelevant. Over a thousand tongues to sing, there's a verse that says he breaks the power of counseled sin. Uh, maybe that's one of the things we struggle with most. We cling on to our failures and don't celebrate the reality if we've been genuine in our repentance before the Lord that um, cancelled sin has no power as far as God is it's been dealt with and there's no further reference to it you know Peter was referring in his letters and we'll um, maybe see some of that next week um, to what he'd experienced with the Lord. And I imagine in my, in my mind, this private encounter was very high profile. It was a real uh, milestone in Peter's experience, but it doesn't get a reference. Peter talks about being a witness of Christ's sufferings. He uh, remembers the time he was privileged to witness the transfiguration of the Lord, uh, but no reference to this private encounter. So, here's a challenge. How forgiven do I feel? Um, because on the basis of 
of the complete, comprehensive salvation that the Lord Jesus has achieved for us, we have every right to feel and behave as though we're forgiven. Let's have a, a look at Peter's reinstatement. And we'll go to John 21, very familiar passage. John 21, verse 7. Then the disciple who Jesus loved, remember this is John, in his old age writing his memoirs, inspired by, inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, and he's referring to himself here. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was heard because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back on Jesus at the, upper, at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. One little point, 153 fish. It's kind of a strange thing to record. Um, I just like the thought that everyone counts. <coughs> I think that's really special. Um, lots of things, you, uh, directions you could go in that. But um, every you, uh, Peter was called to be a fisher of men, and every one of those fish counts. The reason why I'm convinced that there was this private, unrecorded encounter between Peter and the Lord uh, prior to his um, revealing himself to any other disciple <coughs> is without that it's inconceivable that this conversation could happen the way it had it had happened 
You know, how could Peter say, of course I love you, um, if there had never been that interaction that put the wrong right? Um, so I, I just love the restoration that's already there in this, uh, in this dialogue. Um, better men than me have applied themselves to the, the loves that appear in here. Um, it's a great passage to meditate on and to try and get your head around um, why Peter and why the Lord used the agape filio words. And um, you'll hear all kinds of, of uh, explanations as to why some of them are pretty complicated. And I think some people have given up. So here's the way it appeals to me. And, uh, you know, take it away, see what you think. And this is, this is Peter reinstated because there's no question that he's, he's repentant of his denial and he's put that right with the Lord. And now the Lord is kind of underpinning the reality of forgiveness. You know, you're restored, Peter. Um, we'll read a little bit more about it next week. Um, I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail and that when you return, you'll strengthen your brothers. And this is the beginning of the strengthening your brothers um, part of Peter's commission. Agape is without doubt the supremo love. And it's about love that's undeserved and love that's unconditional. And that's um, God's love to us. Um, and Christian love, you know, how we are encouraged to love each other. Filio is affection. That's, um, it's a different kind of love. And it, it's between people who know each other. And there is a sense, and I'm really guarded about this, that there's a sense where filio is richer than agape. And I don't mean to under undermine the overall divine, unconditional um, love that agape is. But in the context of a disciple and the Lord Jesus, there's a filio. There's a love there that is born out of a relationship. And the Lord asks, do you agape me? And Peter said, I filio you. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, um, we're friends and we've got an affection for each other. Simon, do you agape me? Lord, I filio you. <laughs> you know, it's even better than that. And then the Lord says, Peter, do you filio me? And it's almost as though the Lord is acknowledging that um, relationship that makes their love even more special. And um, Peter replies, uh, Lord, you know I filio you. Have a think about it. Um, might be wrong. I apologise <laughs> if I'm preaching heresy, but um, it's just the way that um, appeals to me. We're in the business of thinking of Peter's uh, reinstatement and for me it's summarised by there is a, a quality of love that's the agape there's a, a priority of love do you love me more than these that's another thing to think about I, I genuinely think it's more than more than the 153 fish <laughs> um, rather than more than anyone else there and 
It's the statement of the Lord's confidence in Peter. Your denial is history. Um, you're restored. And actually, I've got a job for you to do, Peter. And then there's that really disturbing point um, where the Lord is indicating the nature of the death that Peter would experience. And we would add to that testing list of loves the cost. And Peter, I think, from this experience would know that he would pay the ultimate cost. And um, tradition has it that he was crucified upside down for, for his faith. There's a curious expression used in business these days, and it's, it's called followership as opposed to leadership. And um, it's where leaders want you to be obedient <laughs> and not uh, be controversial. Um, I'm being a bit cynical with that comment. But the Lord, uh, our supreme leader, wants followership. He wants us to comply with his will, which is perfect. Um, and, of course, in our reinstatement after we've let him down, this is um, an ongoing experience. And the challenge is, am I passing his tests in terms of the quality, the priority, the confidence and the cost of the love that we have between us? So, um, very special person is Peter. We can relate to him in so many ways. Uh, challenges that um, we can take home and, and reflect on. And just great detail available to us on the interactions he had with the Lord. I just um, pray that this will be fuel for your own further thoughts. Shall we pray?